This reading comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's essay, After Ten Years, which was written in 1942. Some of the language is slightly adjusted to be more inclusive of gender. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed by Nazis three years later after writing this. Folly is a more dangerous enemy to the good than evil. One can protest against evil. It can be unmasked and, if need be, prevented by force. Evil always carries the seeds of its own destruction, as it makes people, at least, uncomfortable. Against folly, we have no defense. Neither protests nor force can touch it. Reasoning is no use. Facts that, facts that contradict personal prejudices can simply be disbelieved, pushed aside as trivial exceptions. It seems that folly is a sociological rather than a psychological problem. If we look more closely, we see that any violent display of power, whether political or religious, produces an outburst of folly in a large part of humanity. The upsurge of power makes such an overwhelming impression that people are deprived of their independent judgment. The fact that the fool is often stubborn must not mislead us into thinking that the fool is independent. One feels, in fact, when talking to the fool, that one is dealing not with the person themselves, but with slogans, catchwords, and the like, which have taken hold of the fool. They are under a spell. Their very nature is being misused and exploited. Having thus become a passive instrument, the fool will be capable of any evil, and at the same time, incapable of seeing that it is evil. But folly can be overcome, not by instruction, but only by an act of liberation. And so we have come to terms with the fact that in the great majority of cases, inward liberation must be preceded by outward liberation. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer and am horrified by how apt his words are now, so much longer, so much further past those times when we should have learned. We should have. Lately, though, I've been thinking not just about Bonhoeffer, but about Saturday Night Live. There was a skit that aired the first weekend after the 2016 election. Maybe you saw it or, or read about it later. It was called Election Night, and it featured a group of progressives in New York having an election-watching party, drinking champagne, having snacks, and just waiting for Hillary Clinton to win. Everyone at the party is white, except for Dave Chappelle, famous black comedian, 
and it shows the hours passing. And at 6.30 p.m., a woman at the party says, guys, we're about to have our first woman president. This is going to be a historic night. Yeah, yeah, says Dave Chappelle. It might be a historic night. Just don't forget, it's a big country. No one pays attention. 7 p.m. The returns are starting to come in, and the white people are starting to get nervous. One of them says, well, of course he won Kentucky. That's where all the racists are. And Dave Chappelle, who's been subject to slightly racist comments at this party all night and just brushed them off, looks to his left and looks to his right and says, huh, all of them are in Kentucky? <laughs> 8 p.m., 9 p.m. go by with increasing panic at this party. And at 10 p.m., Chris Rock, another black comedian, shows up. Hey, guys, what did I miss, he says. Trump might actually win, a white woman cries. I mean, of course, he says. What are you talking about? Tried to tell him, man, Dave Chappelle says. Another hour goes by, and the news channel calls Alaska for Trump. Oh, my God, one of the women says. I think America is racist. Oh my God, Dave Chappelle deadpans in mock surprise. And in the end, when the election is in fact called for Trump, Dave Chappelle cheerfully tells his stunned white friends, don't worry about it, eight years is gonna fly by. I know, ooh. And then he and Chris Rock end the skit laughing. Out of everyone in that room, no one had more at stake in this election than them, right? And yet they were laughing. And I've been thinking about this skit again because I've noticed in a kind of informal way on my social media that out of all my friends, it's the Unitarian Universalists who seem most shocked and surprised when bad things happen. Whereas my Christian and Muslim and Jewish friends, while still sad whenever there's a tragedy, they don't seem as stunned as we do in our optimism, our blessed optimism. And I've started to wonder why that is. Is it because Unitarian Universalists don't talk enough about evil? actual evil? I'm afraid we might have spent centuries being so blessedly optimistic about human potential and what we can really achieve in terms of the kingdom on earth that we might be spiritually unprepared for what the past few years have thrown at us. I mean, if your worldview contains a conception of evil, it's a lot easier to make sense of modern life. Imagine how much easier it would be to watch the daily news with an attitude like, ah, Satan, we've been expecting you. <laughs> I read about this in that book. When the Nazis did finally decide to execute Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was, by all accounts, utterly unsurprised and prepared. And we know this because he wrote about it for years ahead of time with sections of his essays called On Death. He understood 
with clear-eyed vision exactly how evil worked. He was not the least surprised. And before we go further, I'd like to give you perhaps a Unitarian Universalist understanding of what evil might be, how we might define this. And this is just my personal definition, so you can take this as all things that happen in our churches as you will. Evil is the willful imposition of extreme and unnecessary suffering. Evil is the willful imposition of extreme, unnecessary suffering. Note that it doesn't have to be malicious. There don't even have to be bad intentions. When a pharmaceutical company price gouges diabetics for their insulin, it's not the result of ill will. That's just capitalism. It's not like they raise the price on insulin because they have hard feelings toward diabetics or some kind of feud, but they do exert will. The price doesn't raise itself. That's a decision that humans make. It's a willful imposition that creates great suffering. In some cases, death, and it is unnecessary. There is, mark my words, enough insulin to go around. It's not like we as a planet are running low or have forgotten how to come up with more. No diabetic on Earth should ever have to worry about whether they will live or die for lack of financial access to insulin. And that is a bipartisan issue. Wherever you are on the political spectrum, insulin is probably something that people should be able to get. The artificial scarcity, the terror, the rationing, the suffering it produces, those are fully unnecessary. That's evil. And to be clear, there are many tragedies in life that are just nobody's fault and can't be helped. When you lose your home because a tornado destroyed it, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. When you lose your home because the landlord evicted you on false pretenses to jack up the rent in a gentrifying neighborhood, that's evil. In Unitarian Universalist churches, we often shy away from strong religious language like this, and you might be feeling uncomfortable because I'm throwing it around willy-nilly. Yes, many of us are converts from other faiths, faith traditions where we first heard sin and evil thrown like stones or bricks at our gender identity or our sexual identity. So we resolve not to pick up those stones ourselves, to never use them against others the way they were used against us. Now, others of us come from an agnostic or atheist or humanist perspective, and we might associate words like evil with the worst of supernaturalism and zealotry. The worst of people claiming to know what God thinks claiming exclusive knowledge of what God really thinks and means and wants for us, that God is, of course, on their side. Of course, this is an unseen and unknowable God. We cannot fact-check this with this God. But, of course, this God's divine judgment happens to, coincidentally, always back up those people's personal biases. Funny how that happens. And to anyone living in the year 2020, 
with all of our modern knowledge, evil might seem as antiquated and useless and superstitious a concept as bloodletting to balance the four humors. So yeah, there's a lot of reasons why we might be suspicious of the word evil and avoid it in general in our churches. There's a lot of great reasons why Unitarian Universalists skirt around it. And then people start putting children in cages. And what language are we left with? So I believe that we have a great need for the term evil because I believe it's real. And just because we don't talk about it, just because we're afraid to use such strong language, doesn't mean it's not happening. And likewise, talking about it for what it is, I don't think makes it any worse. I think we have a religious obligation to talk about these things, much in the same way so many of us feel a religious obligation to go to protests to fight against injustice. Because when we avoid mentioning it or talking about it, we disarm ourselves in the face of that which we are still compelled to fight, pretending somehow that we don't see it at the same time. But we also miss out on the comfort, the comfort of having our inner feelings affirmed of having our inner feelings finally line up with what we have noticed in the outside world by acknowledging that we feel distressed because what's happening is actually distressing, whatever the situation is. If someone has to sell their home to pay for their spouse's chemotherapy and still winds up bankrupt and still winds up not being able to afford the treatment, that's not just unfortunate. That's not just an accident. It's evil. And we can say so. There's something very unsatisfactory about shrugging and saying, well, I don't like it either. But you know, these things happen. These things just happen. What are you going to do? That doesn't feel quite enough. And when each of us goes out into the world and we interact with the larger political sphere of which we're all a part, as we must, whether it's on Facebook or in real life, we bring our religious convictions with us. Why pretend that we don't? Everyone else does. Why pretend that our convictions are just our personal opinions, not to be taken too seriously, not based on any of our principles or values? The wholesale destruction of the planet, for instance, in the interest of human greed. That's not something I'm against just because I'm a big fan of trees. I like leaves. I like plants and animals. Although I am a big fan of trees. You've got great ones in California, right around this church. No, it's not because I'm a fan of trees that I protest this. The destruction of the planet is against my religion. Unitarian Universalists are afraid to say that, but it might be time. That is against my religion because it's evil. The reason I'm against insulin costing $1,000 a vial, it's not just because I think that pricing is out of hand. It's not because I don't like the way they're marketing that. I'm not against that pricing as a personal preference. I'm against it because it's evil. 
and my stance against the destruction of the environment or $1,000 vials of insulin, that doesn't just come from being an informed consumer or a concerned citizen. I'm against it as a person of faith, as a Unitarian Universalist, because I value human life religiously. There's a difference between something being merely wrong and being evil. Sharing fake news articles on Facebook without checking Snopes is wrong. Failing to put your shopping cart back, not because you're disabled, but because you don't care if it's in someone else's way, that's wrong. Neglecting to wash your hands during a pandemic is probably wrong, yes. Taking infants from the arms of their parents at the border and putting them in cages to torture and terrorize Central Americans because you don't think they're real people with feelings is not just wrong, is it? That is more than wrong. It's evil. And it's more for me than a political maneuver or a political stance. Now, I used to get hung up on the word evil because I thought it implied a god, a god who was the arbiter universally of what counted as good versus evil, and that I would have to look to that entity to justify what that meant. Now, studies have shown that those who are increasingly unchurched in America, the spiritual but not religious, the nuns as they're called, the vast majority of unchurched people now are politically liberal. Conservatives have stayed at their churches. Liberals have not. And the reason seems to be that they cannot abide by organized religions in general, association with the political right and human rights abuses. They cannot abide with the way words like sin and evil are deployed in the public sphere to justify public policies that are dehumanizing and damaging. But if you made it to this church, to Star King, you know there is another way of being religious, isn't there? Yes, there is. And this is why I believe Unitarian Universalism has a saving message. I don't think you need to cite the judgment of God to figure out that separating children from their parents is evil. It does not have to be listed in Leviticus for us to know. There have been developments since then, at least several. And claiming that evil exists, it doesn't necessitate belief in the devil or in hell. It doesn't mean you think that Satan works hard, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg works harder. What I'm saying is, you do not have to be an evangelical, a fundamentalist, or a religiously conservative in general to be able to talk about these things. We can. I'll say racism in this country, racism that has imprisoned staggering numbers of people of color for minor offenses, some of which, like marijuana, are now being decriminalized. To me, that's not just wrong, it's evil. 
the neglect of communities of color at the hands of our schools and healthcare systems and public utilities, police violence against entire communities of people of color. It's not just wrong, it's evil. And now there are many Unitarian Universalists, and, and you might be one, who honestly wonder why our denomination is now so focused on racial justice. Why so focused on what's seemingly a political issue in this country, not a religious one. And I'll say that for me, I've become committed to anti-racism work in our churches, not because I'm annoyingly woke, although I might be, not because anti-racism is the latest flavor of political Kool-Aid and I was feeling both thirsty and gullible and perhaps guilty. No, I'm committed to racial justice as a religious person because I think it's evil, actually evil in the religious sense. In that Saturday Night Live skit from 2016, Dave Chappelle, he didn't seem particularly glad about the election results, but he also wasn't shaken by them. He wasn't surprised because he was very much aware of the possibility, aware of the presence of racism as this ongoing force that people claim not to see. And it made it no less real. He was aware and utterly unsurprised by a flowering of evil. And the results of the election were the same for everyone in that room, but only some of the people were shocked. Only two of them, the two black men, were the ones who weren't struggling to reconcile optimistic pretenses with a painful, unexpected reality, with the feeling of, how could this happen? Without being able to say, ah, Satan, I've heard. Acknowledging that there's evil in this world does not entail giving up hope. It doesn't. You know, hope doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't hinge on us knowing for sure how it's all going to turn out fine. That's not why we need it, and that's not where we find it. Rather, in our knowledge, our understanding, our wisdom, that there is great evil in this world, we can have a renewed and strengthened sense that we are stronger in beloved community, that we belong to each other and together, that injustice is worth fighting and that what we love is worth saving. We have to know what it is that we are saving our beloveds from. And I'd like to close with a poem by Gary Snyder, For the Children. The rising hills, the slopes of statistics, lie before us. The steep climb of everything going up, up, as we all go down. In the next century, or the one beyond that, they say, our valleys, pastures, we can meet there in peace if we make it. To climb these coming crests, one word to you to you and your children. Stay together. Learn the flowers. Go light. Amen. Blessed be.